0: Welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number fifty-two. I am your host, Noah Rachetta, and today I'm talking about the sound of silence. <laughs> I left this long, awkward pause here at the beginning, hoping to trick you that this whole episode would be silent. After all, the sound of silence. Uh, the truth is, even if it was, you could still gain a lot of insight and wisdom by listening just to the sound of silence. So this topic came up because I've been reading through some of the stories in Thich Han's book, Is Nothing Something?, uh, kids' Questions and Zen Answers About Life, Death, Family, Friendship, and Everything in Between. That's the title of the book. And one of the first questions addressed in the book is the question, Is Nothing Something? Uh, the answer that Thich Nhat Hanh gives is that yes, nothing is something. You have an idea in your head of nothing. You have an idea in your head of something. Both are things that can either create suffering or happiness. This made me think of another quote or teaching by Thich Nhat Hanh where he says the secret of Buddhism is to remove all ideas, all concepts, in order for the truth to have a chance to penetrate, to reveal itself. When I correlate these two ideas of nothing becoming something or nothing being something, something conceptual, and the idea of removing ideas in order to see what is, It made me think about what would really be there if I was able to remove all ideas, concepts, and beliefs. What would I actually see? What would I hear? In the Plum Village tradition of Zen Buddhism, there's a practice called noble silence. Noble silence is a term attributed to the Buddha for his responses to certain questions about reality. For example, when he was asked unanswerable questions, he is said to have responded with no response, silence. This silence seems to have been the appropriate answer to what he considered an inappropriate question. And to me, an inappropriate question is the question that evokes an answer that doesn't lead to a proper understanding of reality. So if the secret to Buddhism is to remove all ideas and concepts, then we would want to avoid questions that will only add ideas or concepts. And to me, metaphysical questions uh, would only add ideas and concepts and therefore these questions are irrelevant and thus the silent answer by the Buddha on such existential questions. Metaphysical assumptions regarding existence or non-existence, uh, what happens after we die or the question of deities, uh, these would all fall under the category of ideas and concepts you know, the very ideas and concepts that we're trying to remove in order to see reality as it is. And if you'll recall my story about seeing Chris and not seeing Chris, uh, you know, what blinded me from reality in that moment was an idea. It was a concept. It was a, a belief that Chris was a man when in reality Chris was a woman. So there was Chris and I couldn't see Chris because of the concept that I held. This is kind of what it's alluding to What happens if we remove those concepts? We become more likely to see reality as it is. So perhaps the sound of silence is what it sounds like when we become free of ideas and concepts. I've mentioned this before, but uh, Buddhism is commonly referred to as the path of liberation. So what would life be like if we were liberated from our own ideas and concepts, the beliefs that color our reality? Well, there's a teaching in Buddhism about the three doors of liberation. And these three doors are emptiness, signlessness, and aimlessness. So I want to talk about those. First, emptiness. This is essentially no independent existence. Uh, Emptiness is always relative to something. So a cup that is empty of water is empty in relationship to water, but it may be full of air. So emptiness is not the same thing as non-existence. Emptiness is not a philosophy. It's just a description of reality. It's a direct understanding that all things are empty of a separate, independent existence. In other words, this is because that is. So there is no this without that. Um, And if if you look at this in the context of time, it makes perfect sense. There is no present without the past. Uh, if you look at, in terms of space, uh, you know, you can look at a flower. The flower does not exist without all of the non-flower elements. You cannot have flower without having uh, bees and clouds and rain and sun, you know, all the non-flower elements. And it's the same with us. You are interdependent with all the non-you elements, whether these be physical elements like your genetics, your DNA, the very food that you eat, or non-physical elements like your memories, your cultural ideas and beliefs. Um, Literally, everything about you depends on everything that's not you. That's the idea of emptiness here. And then the second door is signlessness. This is no form. So like clouds in the sky, uh, if you attach to the form of, say, a cloud, as soon as the cloud is gone, you'd have the tendency to think, well, the cloud is, no longer exists. It's gone. But the attachment to the form is what blinds you from seeing the cloud in its new form, perhaps as rain or mist or even the water that you drink. So there's this understanding that the cloud is always there. It's never ceased to exist because it never started to exist. You know, this is like the, the first law of thermodynamics. Uh, Matter doesn't cease to exist, it only changes, changes form. So we look beyond the form, beyond the sign of a thing, and we start to see impermanence, uh, the nature of of constant change in all things, in all forms. So forms just become uh, like containers of what is in the present moment. So we start to see that the object of our perception may not be what it seems, right? Instead of seeing forms or signs of things, we start to see things as continuations of complex processes of causes and conditions. Uh, We see constant change. We see things in a continual state of becoming, but always in flux. So that's signlessness. The third door is aimlessness, essentially no goal. This is the understanding that life itself is the goal. The path is the goal. So as long as we think there is an ultimate destination, then it makes it difficult for us to really enjoy where we are because we see separation between where we are and where we think we should be. So it's in a way, it's like always trying to get there. But then when we do, there's no there, there, right? Everything we need to experience contentment and joy, it's found here in the present moment, the here and now. So there's no need to look outside of ourselves. The problem with this, with um, the opposite of aimlessness, is that we run the risk of running our whole lives and never actually living it. You know, what are we running after? Enlightenment? Happiness? The insight of aimlessness is to help us stop running and instead start living. So you could ask yourself, what am I chasing after? What is the thing that I think I need to finally have. And you see this everywhere, whether it be money, fame, power. Um, we're always chasing after something. Now, a misconception with aimlessness, I think in our Western way of thinking, we would think aimlessness has a negative connotation. It's like, there you go, without a rudder, where are you going? Um, but from the Buddhist perspective, it's saying, I, I'm going to have a very clear understanding of what I'm after because I know why I'm after it. The real danger, uh, you know, the negative aimlessness would be that I'm headed somewhere and I don't know why. So it's kind of like the uh, the parable that I share oftentimes about the man running on the horse and the person who's standing there asking, hey, where are you going? And he says, I don't know. Ask the horse, right? That's a form of aimlessness. Um, that to me would be the negative uh, way of thinking of aimlessness. It's that you're on this horse and you don't even know where it's going, you know, the horse is running after money or it's running after fame or it's running after power. Um, what what the, the Buddhist perspective of aimlessness is that this is actually a good thing that I don't have to chase after anything. I'm enjoying the journey. The path itself is my goal. That's the type of aimlessness that we're talking about here in this third door. So those are the three doors of um, liberation. And I think silence can be a powerful reminder of this lesson of liberation. So if nothing is something because it's a concept, then what does that mean about silence? What is the implication about silence? Because silence is also a concept. In fact, the dictionary defines silence as the complete absence of sound. Uh, But this understanding puts us in the same dilemma of emptiness. In other words, silence, like emptiness, is always relative to something. So. The empty cup is empty, and yet it's actually not empty, right? You know, it, it can be empty of water, but it's full of air. Um, this, you know the old question of, is the cup half empty or half full? And the answer will tell you if you're an optimist or um, a pessimist, because the optimist will say it's half full. The pessimist will say it's, it's half empty. Well, now here's a new one we can throw into this equation. The, the mindful individual will say... Well, it's neither full, it's neither half full or half empty because it's both full and empty, right? When you understand that that's a relative concept. Uh, Half full of water is half full of air, so it's completely full and it's completely empty, empty of milk or whatever the the relative term is. So it's both full and empty. Um, So, what is the sound of silence? You know, I think about this and I, I imagine somebody in the city. And they're trying to escape the the sound of honking, the sound of ongoing movement of people and cars. So they leave the city and they go to the country. And there they are sitting either in the forest or sitting in a field trying to enjoy silence. And this is the silence of no city sounds. But now there they are listening to the chirping of birds or the sound of the river flowing or the the cows mooing. So silence is relative, you know, you end one sound, but you hear another, or maybe this is, you know, imagine someone in the country who doesn't want to hear any sound. So they escape the sound of the river or the sound of the birds chirping and they go, you know, they'll put noise canceling headphones on and discover that, well, now I just hear white noise, you know, silent, silence is always relative to something. But when there is no sound, then what, you know, you're just listening to, your thoughts you know how quiet are your thoughts you know if you catch the gap between the thoughts if you practice this then what do you hear in that gap and maybe even there there's still the subtle ringing or humming of silence you know have you ever heard that this is interesting did did you know that the earth has a constant hum you can google this it's a fascinating thing researchers claim that micro-seismic activity from long ocean waves impacting the seabed is what makes our planet vibrate and produce a humming sound. So there we have the scenario where there's this sound that's always there. And we're trying to escape sound. We're trying to hear silence. But what if silence isn't real? It's a concept. It's not something you can hear. It's like those um, hidden images inside the, the dotted image that if you look at it and you focus in the right way, then you, you realize that these aren't just random dots. There's a hidden image in there. And once you see that, you can't not see it. And I think it's similar with, with silence. Once you've heard the sound of silence, you, know, you can't not hear it. You know, once you've glimpsed reality without attachment to your ideas and concepts, everything changes, and, and yet nothing changed. Now, uh, notice I mentioned it's the attachment to the ideas and concepts that's so problematic. It's not the ideas and concepts themselves. So how do we eliminate our ideas and our concepts? The idea of not having ideas and concepts, well, that's also an idea. So now what? What, what do I do with that? Um, the school of Buddhism that I studied with, the Bright Dawn Way of Oneness Buddhism, has this concept called oneness or suchness. Um, And and I really enjoy this idea. The idea is that when we let go of the dualistic approach to life, good and bad, true, false, samsara, nirvana, enlightenment or um, delusion, we find suchness, we find oneness, we discover reality just as it is. For example, I know that I have ideas. I know that I have my own beliefs and non-beliefs, and I have conceptualized understandings of reality, but I know that my ideas are just ideas. I know that they arise out of a complex web of interdependencies based on both space and time. In other words, if I were in a different time or in a different space, or had I been configured differently, I would have different ideas, different concepts, different beliefs, So what I let go of is my attachment to these things. I don't necessarily let go of the ideas themselves. I let go of the attachment that I have to them. Now, sure, over time, I have let go of a lot of ideas and beliefs, but I don't know that it's possible to let go of all of them. Uh, Ideas and, and concepts are what make us human. That's how we we understand the world and we inherit it from our society and our culture and thousands of years of evolution. Uh, so to believe that I can or should let go of, of my ideas or beliefs, well, that's just another belief. So oneness with reality is oneness with all things, including our ideas, but in a non-attached manner. You know, Noah, Noah Levine and I were talking about this a little bit if you watched our interview about addiction and recovery, the mindfulness based approach to approach to addiction and recovery. And you can visualize your palms together. Um, you know, like you're about to pray or the you're doing the namaste type, you know, palms together. Um, that is a visualization of non-attachment. So you have attachment. Now attachments where your hands are locked together, right? Like you're holding hands with your fingers interlocked, that would be attachment. One is gripping the other. Detachment is the separation of the two entirely. They're nowhere near each other. And then there's non-attachment. This is that they can be there together, but they're not gripped. They're not, um, they're not attached and they're not detached. And this idea of suchness or oneness is a non-attached way of living with everything, including our ideas and our concepts. And I like this, this this helps me to visualize that this idea of letting go or removing our ideas and concepts, it, re- it means removing them in the sense of they are no longer obstacles. It's not removing in the sense of destroy. I'm going, to de- I'm going to destroy my ideas and my concepts. I don't necessarily need to do that, but I don't let them get in the way anymore. They're just there. It's just an idea. Same with my opinions. I have opinions about things, but they're just opinions. I don't have to, I don't even believe some of my own beliefs. I don't believe some of my own opinions. So moving on, Alan Watts, he talks about searching for meaning, you know, the meaning of life, for example, and he compares this process. He says, it's like you're peeling the layers of an onion, hoping to discover the pit. And in the process, you find that all you've done is peeled back the layers and discarded the edible and useful part of the onion. There is no pit. It's just layer after layer after layer. And I think about that with regards to silence, with regards to this understanding of emptiness and how when you understand that nothing is still something and you hear the sound of silence, you know, perhaps in that moment, we start understanding what it really means to remove the ideas, to remove the concepts, to get those things out of the way um, and let them be there, but in a non-attached manner. That's kind of the, um, the understanding t- for me of what it means to hear the sound of silence. So I would wrap this up by um, raising the question once again, what is the sound of silence? I would invite you to explore this question, to listen for yourself, see what's there. You know what happens when you hear something other than what you were expecting to hear, because what is silence? What is it for you? Listen for the silence from sound, but then listen for the silence that's found in the gap between your thoughts. What does that look like? You know, maybe just sitting there silently. Maybe you'll you'll hear the same uh, hum. This almost buzzing sound or or, um, ringing sound that's always there. It's always been there. I don't think I had ever noticed it until I started to sit there in silence, asking myself, What is the sound of silence? And I found that for me, the idea of silence is just that it's a concept. There is no silence, there's always something there. And I hear that now. I hear that when I don't hear sound, I just hear like the there's this low, almost like white noise humming, uh, and, and and this I don't think this is the same as, uh, you know, the ringing in ears that people have. Um, to me, this is different. This is the sound of what's there. This is um, in an audible way. This is like saying when you see what's there and you remove what you thought was there, what are you left with? Reality, suchness, oneness. And I've experienced this with sound when I when I listen. For the absence of uh, of sound, what's there is well. There's a lot there. There are thoughts there. There are memories. There are. There's the monkey mind. There's all kinds of stuff going on there. Uh, but my idea of what silence was that's just a, that's just a concept. You can notice, and you can increase the awareness that you have of this silence, and what you might hear may be a profound discovery for you. And if so, I'd love to hear all about it. Uh, you're welcome to join our online community. We have a Facebook group called the Secular Buddhism Podcast Community. It's a group on Facebook that you can join where we discuss items. Uh, we discuss the podcast episodes and the topics that are discussed in the episodes. You can join that on Facebook by just doing a search for Secular Buddhism Podcast Community. That'll bring it up, and then you just click join. Another option is um, you can you can join our online weekly sangha. So this is a, an online community. It's relatively new. We've had two weekly meetings now. But we, we get together every Sunday at 8 a.m. Uh, uh, Mountain Standard Time, which is 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern, uh, 9 a.m. Central, for those of you wondering. And we meet every week. And it's a one hour online meeting, um, that's like a Skype call with, with many people. We use a a platform called zoom and I'll post the zoom meeting ID. Uh, You can download this. It's a free app on your smartphone or on your computer by visiting zoom.us that's www.zoom.us. Um, all this information gets posted on the Facebook community. Um, or on secularbuddhism.com forward slash community, you can find it all there as well. So I would recommend you go there, uh, secularbuddhism.com forward slash community. Uh, so that's all I have for this topic. If you, would, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it with others, write a review, give it a rating in iTunes. Uh, like I said, if you want to join our online community, please visit secularbuddhism.com forward slash community. If you would like to make a donation to support the work I'm doing with this podcast, that would be really helpful. You can do that by visiting secularbuddhism.com and click the donate button. That's all I have for now, but I look forward to recording another podcast episode soon. Until next time.